0: and we'll be starting a new series today today and six more weeks total of seven weeks on the topic that I'll explain in just a bit so the guys will continue to distribute those and let me mention a few things that are coming up on the 16th of this month so two weeks from yesterday we're going to have a spring clean day here and we're asking for as many hands on deck as are possible And we've gotten the various tasks that need to be done, laid out, so we need to know which of those you think you could help with. So to identify that, there is a sheet, and there is a sheet going around. It has for a couple of weeks through here, and the first week I don't think it made it through everybody. Last week we didn't have this hour because of Easter. So we're trying it again this week and next week, and hopefully all of you will at least see it one time and affix your name to one or more of the spots on there. It goes from 8.30 to 5, but we just ask you to drop in. So you don't stay all day. You come in and do your task or tasks, and then you leave. As is indicated on the sheet that you'll see, there are some that are time-sensitive. So there are a few that have to be done, like at 8.30. But most of them can be done at any time during that day, and you can just drop in. and and help us with those. So see that sheet as it uh, goes around. All right, and the other thing I wanted to bring to your attention is the deadline three weeks from today for your deposit for family camp. Our family camp is August 10 through 13. It will be at Michindo Conference Center in Hillsdale, and the costs have been listed for several weeks in your program And we need a deposit uh, for that if you're planning on attending so that we know how many people are coming. We've reserved our own spot uh, on the grounds there that uh, each family has its own efficiency, has its own unit, I should say. They used to have efficiencies in there. They used to have kitchens in there, and they've uh, taken those out. Uh, We visited last year, and I saw that they had taken those out. So you can't cook in there. But they have refrigerators in there, and you don't really need to cook because they supply all the food anyhow. Uh, And they have, believe it or not, good food there. So part of your cost is the food for the days that we will be there and your lodging. They have very nice uh, facilities, and we'll have a great time. So we encourage you, uh, families, and uh, if if, if you're coming on your own or if you're a couple and you don't have any children or your children are grown, Uh, We would love to have you all come as well. So any of you are are welcome to come, and I'm quite sure everybody will have a a profitable time. But we need to know uh, here in the next few weeks who all is planning to attend. So you can register for that in the Resource Center, and you can uh, give them your uh, deposit, and then we'll go from there. All right, today we begin a series. Everybody have some paperwork now? John's got some over here. Anybody need? Top right-hand corner, it says... Side by side, you see that. And what is what is that about? If you have your Bible, take a look at Hebrews chapter ten. If you if you don't, you can just listen as I read. But Hebrews chapter ten. And this is the passage I'm going to read it is a set of verses that we pastors love to quote because it has a line in there that says do not give up meeting together. And what that translates to practically is be at church. So you guys passed the test for today. You're obviously here. But we pastors love to beat on that. Do do not give up meeting together. Be faithful to be at church. And, of course, that's that's a good thing. But it's very easy for us, if we're not careful, to miss the an important reason that we are with one another. That we gather together and that we're in each other's company. If you look at verse 24, Hebrews 10, 24. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. You see that? So why should I not give up meeting together? and it used to be that mo- most people if you ask them that question it'll be well then i won't be able to learn i won't hear the sermon or i won't be able to sing the songs of the faith and what i learn out of that so i'll miss a learning opportunity if i don't if i don't show up well there's some truth to that except that's pretty, that's kind of out the window in our day given that you could listen online you could listen in the comfort of your in the comfort of your own home and your car If that's all that getting together was about. But us meeting together is not just about learning. It's about us spurring one another on toward love and good deeds. And that is why, that's one reason why then, we should not give up meeting together. Verse 24, consider how many ways spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. As some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. Now you see the the sandwich there then, the in-between, it says, do not give up meeting together. But that's in-between, spurring one another on toward love and good deeds and encouraging one another. So you have two one another's going on. And in-between that, there's don't give up meeting together. So one of the major reasons for which we meet together is one another stuff. It's for us to spur one another on toward love and good deeds, and for us to encourage one another. Well, that you know has a lot of implications for us as we come together on the Lord's Day. That it means that if one of my objectives is to spur others on and to be spurred on toward love and good deeds, and if it is to encourage and be encouraged, then I've got to move beyond fellowshipping with the back of somebody's head. You know what I mean by that? You're sitting in rows. And if all you do is sit in a row, and all you see, you see me up here, and then you see the back of the heads of the people that are in front of you. And for many of us, that's as far as our fellowship goes. We fellowship with the back of somebody's head. But God has called us to come together and meet together for more than that. To spur one another on and to encourage one another. Now, the word encourage is a Greek word, comes from a Greek word, parakaleo. Para means uh alongside, beside, and kaleo means call. It means to call alongside, to encourage pictures, calling someone alongside or coming alongside someone and putting your arm around that person to be of aid to them, to be of help to them. And likewise, for them to do that with you. I can't do that. I can't come alongside. I can't call someone else alongside. I can't encourage if I'm not engaged with people that are part of the part of the church. So why am I doing this series side by side? I'm doing it because the Bible has much to say about our relationships with one another. Starting tonight in our home groups, our community groups, we're going to be looking at several of the one another commands in the New Testament. And over those weeks, we're going to see what the, the, the passages mean and then seek to make some application of that. And I'm fortifying that with this series as well, side by side, us coming alongside one another in order to help and to and to be helped. In addition, when we get to the end of this series. This is seven weeks, and then on May the 22nd, we have our missionaries to uh, China here, the Gearharts, and Nathan is going to be presenting on May the 22nd in this hour. The following week, May the 29th, is going to be entirely devoted to the launch of our Stephen ministry. And some of you remember uh, what we've talked about with regard to Stephen ministry. We showed some videos last year uh, about what that is. And we've had some folks diligently and have them still, They're training. They're going to finish here in the next uh, few weeks, their full training. And then those people are going to be presented to you in that service this hour on May the 29th. So all of this is designed to lead up to that. Stephen ministry is one formal way in which our church then seeks to help each other. So that's why we're doing the series. Take a look at the top of page one of the introduction then. And you see the footnote at the bottom. This is based on the book by Ed Welch by that title, Side by Side by Side. We all need help. That's simply part of being human. Now let me just stop there. We all need help. It's part of being human. We might think that needing help is part of being sinful. But that line is saying something different. We all need help. It's part of being human. To put that another way, even before sin entered God's world, we were not made to be self-sufficient. Adam and Eve were not made to be self-sufficient. They were certainly made to be dependent on God, but they were also made to help one another. Do you remember that Eve was made to be? In fact, uses that word, his helper. Now, what what is it that we're to help each other? We're to help each other do? Quite apart from sin, just as humans, what are we? What do we need help to to do? Well, God made us to to worship Him. In fact, next week, as I pick up what I didn't finish today in the uh, in the message, we will see from Genesis chapter two and verse fifteen that God instructed the man to work the ground and to take care of it. That's what He told him to do. But those words, to work it and take care of it, have worship overtones. That They actually mean to serve and to obey. That you're to serve God and obey God by doing this task that that I've given you. So we were made for the purpose of worshiping God. And we were given to each other to assist each other in that process. Of worshiping God, honoring God. Showing the worth of God in everything that we do. So with that, that line, we all need help, that's simply part of being human. I say it this way, relationship is for discipleship. Relationship is for discipleship. God has given us one another in whatever relationships that we have, marriage relationship included and, and especially is made for discipleship. God has put us in the company of one another for us to help one another achieve the purpose that God has given us in creation, namely to honor, glorify, worship him. So we all need help. That's simply part of being human. That's apart from the entrance of sin. But then notice the next sentence. The help we need goes beyond things like getting our house painted or finding a good mechanic. It's deeper than that. We need help for our souls, especially when we're going through hardships, all right? That's post-fall. That's after the fall. You see, Adam and Eve didn't have any hardships. And if we hadn't sinned, they were our perfect representative. So I say if we hadn't sinned, then we wouldn't have hardships either, theoretically, if that had happened. So... This now is post-fall, after the fall. We not only need help to assist one another in the purpose that God has for us, we now need help to overcome the obstacles to achieving that purpose, the largest of which is our own sin and our sin struggles to help each other with that. So we say help can be as simple as connecting with someone who understands or with someone who genuinely says, I'm so sorry. We were not designed to go through hard things alone. So let me ask you, what prevents us from engaging with other people in order to help and be helped? Just think to yourself, what keeps us from doing that? Now, the next few lines are going to focus on probably the major issue, and that is our own pride. To say that I need help means that I'm weak, means that I'm fallen, or means that I know that I'm susceptible to falling. But another one, before even the pride, even if you even if you recognize that need, if you don't know people and you don't seek to know people, then you can't help them and they can't help you. Now, I've said this many times over the years to this this group, but I can't emphasize it enough. Friends, you must engage with one another. You must get to know one another. You must interact with one another. If we don't know each other, we can't help each other. And if we don't help each other, then we are defeating the purpose for which God has brought us together in relationship. So we say there, it's not easy to ask for help. We spend a lot of time hiding our neediness because we're afraid of what people will think. Many of us think that being needy is a sign of weakness. And given a choice, we prefer to appear strong or at least competent. Yet weakness or neediness is a valuable asset in God's community. Jesus introduced a new era in which weakness is the new strength. Anything that reminds us that we're dependent on God and other people is a good thing. Now, you've got to read that sentence again. <laughs> Anything that reminds us that we're dependent upon God and other people is a good thing. And we don't think that, do we? We think quite the opposite. The more independent I am, the better off I am and everybody else is. And this is saying that from God's standpoint, the more dependent I am upon him and upon others, the better it is. Now, here's why we don't think that way. Because a line like that assumes what I said in the first hour. A line like that assumes that it's about God. Now let's read that line. Think about that line in that context. It's about God. It's not first about me. It's about God. And God desires that we be dependent upon him. Because that's one of the ways in which God shows his character, displays his character, or receives glory. Our weakness displays God's strength. And if it's about God, then we want to see that, we want to see that happen. So this assumes it's about God, but most often in our thinking, we don't assume life is all about God. We don't even consciously think about it. We just go through our stuff and assume it's about us, and then judge whether something is good or bad, beneficial or not, based upon whether we find it, uh, find it pleasant or not. Otherwise, middle of that paragraph, we trick ourselves into thinking that we're self-sufficient and arrogance is sure to follow. We need help and God has given us his spirit and each other to provide it. So this series is divided into two major parts. The first one is we need help. The second part is what you see in the middle there. We are all helpers. One, we need help, but then we are all called to help. We are helpers. This, too, is part of being human. A young child is most satisfied when helping parents cook or clean. They delight in contributing to the household. In this, they illustrate how God has given all people gifts, quote, for the common good, and all gifts are needed. There is no such thing as an unnecessary person. And yet, there are some of you sitting here who think, what can I do? Well, this idea of coming alongside, side by side, what you can do is interact, engage with people. And you engage with people and you ask people about them and you will find all sorts of things going on in their lives that at the very minimum, think about what you can do. If you hear about, as you engage with people, what's going on in their lives, what at the very minimum is something that you can do? You can pray for that person, can't you? At the very minimum, you can do that. You say, you know, I don't even know the Bible very well. I'm a fairly new Christian, or I've been a Christian for a long time, and I don't really know what to tell them. Okay, thanks for your honesty. But you can say, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you regularly on that. So let me give you an illustration. We have a lady in our church who can't get here on her own. She has to be brought here. And she has heard me say things like, and she's seen in God's word, that we have a responsibility to use our gifts and get involved, so on. And even though I always say, look, God has us in different stations of life in his good providence, and so I'm not trying to make you guilty if you're not able to do things. There are people who are not able to do things they would otherwise like to do. Nevertheless, she feels guilty. And so a few months ago, she comes to me and she says, I feel guilty. What can I can't do anything. And I said, you know, we've got all kinds of things to pray for here. And I gave her some things to pray for on a regular basis and to then go through our prayer list of people. And, and I asked her to do that every day and then do an additional thing. Go to the people for whom you're praying and say, I want you to know I prayed for you this week. Now, how much encouragement is that to the person to whom she says that? And this sister is just thrilled that she has something that she can do to the as unto the Lord, but for her brothers and sisters. At the very minimum, all of us can pray for one another and we can tell one another that we're praying for each other. But I won't know what to pray for if I'm not engaged. So it's absolutely necessary that we be engaged with one another to find out how we can best love and serve each other. Next paragraph there. Actually, we offer help so often that we might not even be aware of it. We listen to a roommate or a spouse about struggles at work. We commiserate with a friend who is full of fears. We give advice to the member of our small group who's going through a bumpy relationship. We ask how we can pray. We were meant... To live that way. Now why were we meant to live that way? We were meant, intended, designed to live that way. Why would God design it that way? Well, I would say it this way. I've told you already, relationship is for discipleship. Let me expand on that a little bit. Relationship is the ground in which we grow. Relationship is the ground in which we grow. Because it's in relationship that your best and your worst come out, right? It's in relationship that things are great. It's in relationship that things are lousy. And it's in relationship that you are exposed as being both great and lousy. And me too. It's in that context, then, that we see the things that are going on in our hearts. It's in relationship and interacting with with one another. So relationship is the ground in which we grow. That's why God has designed it this way, intended it this way. We say there we were meant to walk side by side, an interdependent body of weak people. God is pleased to grow and change us through the help of people who've been recreated in Christ and empowered by the Spirit. This is how life in the church works. And yet fears enter in. We're afraid to jump into the complexities of someone's life. Who are we to help somebody else? We have troubles galore. Our past makes a mess of the present. Sin always threatens to overtake us. So... This person is telling me they've got an issue and they've got a struggle. And one of the things that we can easily do is say, I got all my, I got struggles too. Who am I, how am I going to give advice to somebody else? Who am I? I'm a mess trying to help you with your mess. Why don't we both just be messes separately? I mean, I don't want anybody to think that I think that I've got it all together. So I have to talk to people a lot about their messes. And in all of their their messes, I have to say very often, I have to say, hey, look, I don't have all of this down myself. I just have to remind them about that and remind myself about that. The fact that I am giving you help doesn't mean that I've arrived. And you don't have to have arrived in order to give help. In fact, let me... uh, I'll put it to you a particular way after I give you this response that you've heard probably said from folks. Somebody describes their situation to you, very difficult circumstance, and they're going to do the wrong thing as a result of this circumstance. Their marriage is horrible. And as a result of their marriage being loveless and joyless and horrible, here's what they're going to do. They're going to end it. They're going to end the marriage. Now, God's word says you don't have grounds. There hasn't been adultery. There hasn't been abandonment. Those are the two grounds. You don't have either of those, but you're going to go ahead and end it. And you're talking to this person. Picture yourself talking to this person. And you start to tell them, you know, God doesn't say you can do that. And here's what they may say to you. Are you telling me that you would stay in a relationship like that? Can't tell you how many times I've heard that. And you've probably heard that and you may have said that. Are you telling me that you would do what you're telling me to do if you were in my shoes? And then that disarms us, doesn't it? That... Pushes us back and we say, well, you know, who am I to talk? So here's who you are to talk. When you counsel someone, you are telling them what they should do according to God. You are not making any claim about what you would do. Let me say it again. You're telling them what you should do. You're not making an absolute claim about what you would do. Now, I like to think that if I were in that kind of relationship, I would obey God. But in all humility, I have to say, I don't know, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner like you are. And so I might sin like you're talking about doing. But here's the thing, all that means is I'd be wrong just like you are. So like, how does that help us? How does it help to put it back on me to say, oh, you're telling me you would do it? No, I'm not telling you that. I'm telling you this is what I should do and you should do because this is what God says. And I'm making no claim to you about my own superiority. And if I'm put in a different situation that I'm in now, I shudder to think what I might do. Friends, in humility, we need to, we need to be willing to say that kind of thing. I believe this is part of what Paul meant in 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. Because you can be standing in one set of circumstances. But when a sovereign God changes your circumstances in order to grow you, you can react to that in a sinful way. And though you were standing, you're now falling because you're in a different set of circumstances. So... Don't allow someone to then push it back and say, are you telling me that if you were in that kind of relationship that you would do this? That's not the claim you're making. The claim you're making is this is what God says. And we need to help each other do what God says. I'm trying to help you do what God says. And if I'm in that situation five years from now, I want you to be there to help me do what God says. Bottom of the page. In our era... We consult experts, professionals, and specialists. But when we look at our own history of having been helped, it's likely that you'll notice very few experts among those who have helped you. Who were your helpers? Were they professional counselors or specialists? Probably not. Most often they were friends, the regular everyday people in your life. Friends are the best helpers. They come prepackaged with compassion and love. All they need is wisdom, and that's available to everyone. So we need help, and we are to help. And there are reasons why we're not helping. We're not engaged. Uh, Our pride is such that we don't tell people we need help, and so those even who would be willing to do it aren't able. But let me give you another reason, and then we'll look at the top of page 2. That more of us aren't helping. More of us are not helping in part because we're not availing ourselves of the help that's being offered us. To put it another way, we're not making progress ourselves. And therefore, we're not in a position to help others. Or we don't think we're in a position to help others. We are so focused on our mess and our circumstance and we're not heeding the counsel that we have available to us so that we remain mired in that circumstance and can only focus upon that and not upon the people that God has sovereignly put in my path to help. What I'm saying to you is some of you aren't able to help others is because you're not availing yourselves of the help that you're being given. You see, friends, one motivation for us to grow for us to move forward ought to be so that I am strengthened to help someone else. As you look at the circumstance you're in, you ought to be thinking to yourself, you know, as I grow through this thing and as I grow in this thing, I'm excited about how God's going to use me in the lives of other people. But if you don't approach it that way, If you don't approach the circumstance as a means by which God is going to grow you and then use you, if you don't approach it that way and you remain mired down, not growing in and through it, then you won't find yourself on the other side of that leisure. Needing help, yes, but then being able to give help to others. I'm telling that to you not to make you feel unnecessarily guilty. I'm telling you that to motivate you. In that circumstance that has been plaguing you, Regularly to grow in and through it with the help that your good God has placed in your path. He's given you his word. He's given you his spirit. He's given you his people. He's given you all that you need, according to Peter, for life and godliness. And for you then to change your mindset about that thing that you're in, such that you see an opportunity as you grow in and through it, and I can't wait to see who God's going to bring in my path that I can help as a result of it. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4 says that. I've quoted it to you a number of times, but praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we may comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God so that we can comfort those in any trouble. Here's the purpose for which God has given me this comfort in this difficulty, so that I can help other people. Top of page two. It's the perfect system. If God used only experts and people of renown, some could boast in their own wisdom. But God's way of doing things is not the same as ours. We ordinary people have been given power and wisdom through the Holy Spirit and are called to love others. If you care to jot down Romans chapter 15 and verse 14, Romans 15 and verse 14. Romans 15:14. And there, Paul who wrote it, says to the Romans, I myself am convinced, brothers and sisters, that you are full of goodness full of knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Now, you know who he's writing to there? He's writing to the regular folk in the church at Rome. How do I know that? Because chapter 1 and verse 7 says so. This is to whom this letter is addressed. It's addressed to the saints who are at Rome. And When the Bible uses saints, it's not... Church hierarchy saints, it's not people who have been canonized. Saints means Christians. Here's a letter written to the Christians at the church in Rome, and as he gets toward the end of that letter, he says to them, I'm convinced that you can do this, that you're able to instruct one another. You're able, you're competent. That could be translated and has been by some, you're competent to counsel one another. And it's that verse that gave rise to the seminal book that Jay Adams wrote in 1970 by that title, Competent to Counsel. And the, the whole premise of the book is that regular everyday Christians can take the Bible and apply it to their friends, their fellow Christians in their lives. So this series is for people who are willing to move toward other struggling people but are not confident that they can say or do anything very helpful. If you feel quite weak and ordinary, if you feel like a mess but you have the Spirit, you've got the right credentials. You're one of the ordinary people God uses to help others. And as we get a knack for this rhythm, being needy and need-ed, Jesus will be in it and over it. He was weak before we were. He was dependent on His Father and dependent even on mere human beings. He also came to serve rather than to be served and did it side by side. As we're able, we do this with one another. So for the next few weeks, then we're going to look at the first of these two parts of this series that we are needy. And then we'll look at the fact that we are needed. We are needy. Middle of page two. Your neediness qualifies you to help others. Your neediness offered well to someone else can even be one of the great gifts you give to your church. You'll inspire others to ask for help. Think of it this way. Think of a time when you were in a group and someone spoke openly about a struggle in daily life. What happened next? In most instances, the group suddenly became more like a family. Other people opened up about their lives and the prayers of the group sounded more and more like the Psalms. When something like this happens, the myth that we all have life figured out is exposed and we begin to share one another's burdens, which is the way God intended it to be. We spend too much time concealing our neediness. We need to stop hiding. Being needy is our basic condition. There's no shame in it. It's just the way it is. Understanding this, accepting it, and practicing it will make you a better helper. So we are needy and we need to admit that to ourselves and be able to be willing to admit that to to others as well so i put it this way to you as i have in the past look you're in a church that believes the book the bible and ostensibly you're then with a bunch of people who individually believe the book the bible and if you just do a cursory reading through the book what does it tell you about you If you read through the book, what does the book tell you about you? Does it tell you, hey, this is my God's revelation to you. And here's my revelation to you. You've got it all together. Here's what I want you to recognize, first and foremost, in Scripture. You don't need any help. What what does God tell you? God tells you you're a wreck. You're a sinner. You're a sinner in your thoughts, in your words, in your deeds. You're a sinner in the thoughts, words, and deeds you fail to think, say, and do. You're a sinner in your mind, in your will, and in your emotions. You're a sinner through and through. You inflict fallenness and you are affected by fallenness because you live in a fallen world. That's what you read about, isn't it? That's you. That's me. And that's all in the book. It's all there in black and white and some red. It's all there and it's all about you and me. So you're in a church where people have supposedly read the book. And yet we're going to act like we can put it on? Like I'm better than that? Look, I know you. I know you. I know some of you better than others. I still know you. Oh, I got your number. And the truth is, you got my number. Because you read a book about me. And that what that book says about me is absolutely true. What it says about my struggles is absolutely true. What it says about your struggles is absolutely true the idea then that we would act like we've got it together is an affront to the truth of God. So we are we are needy. And when you're willing to do that, it then opens the door for other people who have been struggling to open up themselves. Toward the bottom of page two then, life is hard. Too hard to manage single-handedly. That's why we're needy. But life is also good, but it's hard. There's never a day when we have immunity from difficult circumstances. To admit that is not necessarily complaining. It's simply true. Jesus said, in the world, you will have trouble. And if we stop to think about those tribulations, we realize they are unending. Here's just a partial list of our health, our family's health, job and financial unknowns, discrimination and injustice, local violence, International terrorism, broken promises, conflict with friends, too much to do, mechanical breakdowns. Why do we make a list? Why do we bother identifying? We do it because human beings do best when they take their hardships public to God and at least to one other person. So somewhere in that list you fit and you probably have additional things that you could add to that. We take those to God and... It's best when we take them to at least one other person. When we survey the Psalms, we discover this is God's desire. To you, Lord, I cry. And to the Lord, I plead for mercy. Through Psalms like Psalm 30, the Lord essentially says to us, come to me with your hardships. That's what children do with their father. The hard things of life are important to God. And if they're important to God, they're important to us. And we'll labor to put them into words, into speech. You want one of the reasons that God is intent on making us low. God makes us low in this life. God allows hardship into our lives. And here's one of the major reasons, because Isaiah chapter 42 and verse 7, Isaiah 42 and verse 7 says this, I will not share my glory with another. God will not allow you he will not allow me to be self-sufficient he will bring things into our lives to remind us who's in charge and who's most important if we will not acknowledge it's about God he will he will bring it to our to our memory he will bring it to the fore it's about me i told you guys after we get done with Genesis in a few weeks, and then our next series is going to be a, a survey of job and and God is authorized. He's the authority to do as he will. but one of the reasons that God often does this, not the only one, but one of them is that God will not share his glory. and so he will bring us low to make us dependent upon him. But if you look at that circumstance and say, Lord, this is not as I said in the first hour, This is not why, but how. I'm not going to ask why you're doing this. I'm going to ask how I can bring glory to you in the midst of this. And since there is so much, it might help to organize the circumstances of our lives. The list below is a way to do that. Our heart and our body represent us. and The additional items are circumstances that surround us. They're the world in which we live. So we've got our hearts and our bodies. That's us. But then we've got outside of us relationships. We've got people at work. We've got spiritual evil in the world. And then we've got the Lord. Now, if I knew how to do it, I would have made concentric circles for these. That's the way they're supposed to be. And the middle of the circle is supposed to be our hearts. So if you want to draw that, you could. And then the next circle is our bodies. And the next one, our relationships, our work spiritual evil, and then God is the outside circle. Everything takes place within the purview of God. So we're going to consider some of the circumstances that affect us and then look at the heart, the foundation, literally the heart of our struggles. But we will do that next week because, alas, it is noon. So let's ask the Lord to help us this week and bring us back together safely. Father, thank you again for the privilege of being able to gather together and to quiet our our hearts and focus our minds upon what is most important. Lord, uh, we thank you that you have given us your word to tell us what it is you are pursuing. You're pursuing your glory in your world, and we and everything that happens within your world is all designed for that. So, Lord, help that to not just be a slogan or something that we just acknowledge and move on from. Help that to be central to our thinking and our doing, that life is about you. And then, Lord, because we believe life is about you, we will ask the right questions, not why, but but how then. Can I be used as an instrument of your praise, of your glory, of your honor in the circumstances that you have sovereignly assigned to me? I pray, Lord, over these uh, next weeks together that we will have reinforced to us what your word says about our neediness, but then also about our ability and privilege to be able to help those in need. As a result, Lord, may we be a body that functions as you intended, interacting with one another, serving one another, loving one another, forgiving one another, bearing one another's burdens, praying for one another, submitting to one another. On and on you go in your word. Lord, as we do that, may this body be something different, different than what people see in the world. And may, may others be attracted to it. As you said, Lord Jesus, by this will all men know that you're my disciples. If you love one another, help us to love well this week, grant us safety and bring us back together next Lord's Day. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.